Oh, the ascension. It's so easy to miss, but we're really going to dig into what it means. The ascension from below, the ascension from above, and what does it mean for us theologically and practically? We'll do that all today. Ascension Imagination. Thanks for downloading the Cross Defense Podcast. Welcome to Cross Defense. Good afternoon. God be praised. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And we continue to rejoice in that resurrection. Uh, even today, as, we can, as we're going to consider here on Cross Defense, uh, by the way, I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Jesus Deaf and St. Paul Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Uh, your host on Cross Defense for the next hour, where we fight back against the... We fight back against the devil's temptation to theological boredom by considering the Holy Scriptures, the events of the Holy Scriptures, what they mean for us. We're here on Cross Defense. We're on YouTube. And we're going to talk today about the ascension of Jesus, which happens on Thursday. Now, this Thursday then marks the 40th day after the resurrection of Jesus. And remember that in, uh, in his ministry, Jesus remained on the earth in his... Um, in his resurrected form, his resurrected way of being, for 40 days. And then on the 40th day, he gathered the disciples back down in Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. And he gathered them together, and then he was taken up from them. And he, uh, and he disappeared from their sight. We want to look at the text. It's, it's given to us in Mark and in Luke and in the book of Acts. We want to look at the text. and then, uh, But I want to consider especially the ascension of Jesus theologically. I want to consider what the ascension of Jesus means. I want to try to, in fact, in some ways, I want to develop this argument, and that is that the ascension of Jesus, amongst all the theological uh, events in history, which is so a theological event, I don't even know necessarily what that means, but but maybe just let me give you some examples. Of all of the theological events in history, I think the ascension is number three we have the, the the first must be the death and resurrection of jesus we'll put those together as a single event good friday resurrection sunday the death burial and resurrection of jesus the most important event the theological event and let's just also make this statement that the theological events are more important than any other events so so these are the three most important events in all of history the death and resurrection of jesus number one Number two, the incarnation of Jesus, which we celebrate at Christmas, and so it is, but it, it happened nine months earlier at the Annunciation. The incarnation, that the event, the moment of the incarnation, second most important theological event, and of course the death and resurrection and the incarnation are connected to one another. I was just looking at Hebrews 10. This little, the Hebrews has all these riddles, these great li riddles in it, and um, and one of them is in Hebrews 10. It quotes Psalm 40, which says, A body you prepared for me, sacrifice you didn't desire. And it's the idea, it's an amazing idea, actually, where the Lord says that I have a body because I need to make an atoning sacrifice that will end the wrath of God. It's a beautiful text. So the incarnation and the crucifixion are connected to one another. But Jesus doesn't have a body to be crucified until he's incarnate. But then let's just say that the ascension of Jesus is the, is the third most important theological event in the history of history, <laughs> in, in ever, in, in, of everything. It's fantastic. 
when Jesus takes up the full use of his divine nature, when Jesus takes his victory into the heavenly throne room, when Jesus takes up the, the full use of his divine majesty according to his human nature, we get to see the ascension from below. How about this to think about? We get to see the ascension uh, from below in Mark, especially in Luke and in Acts, the, from the disciples' perspective. And then the Lord even gives us the, the wonderful privilege of seeing the ascension from above, the heavenly perspective. It's, um, it's almost like, you know, if you have a camera view, the, the ascension of Jesus in Luke is Jesus going away from the camera. And then in Revelation 7, and especially in Revelation 12, then Jesus is coming into the heavenly throne room, and we get to see what happens there. Hebrews tells us what happens there, how Jesus enters into the Holy of Holies. In fact, in fact, how about this? We know that the feasts in the Old Testament were, were preaching Jesus, that the tabernacle was a shadow of the heavenly reality, and the, pre, and the priests and the sacrifices and everything happening there was just a picture of what Jesus would do. Well, the Day of Atonement, Jesus, the, where the priest, the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies, that's a picture of the ascension. And there's no more important event in all of Old Testament Israel when the priests would offer the sacrifice and put the hands and the sin on the goat and one would go to the wilderness, the other would be sacrificed and the blood of the bull was brought in and then the blood of the goat was brought in and put on that. That's a, that's a picture of what happens in the ascension, all, all of this stuff. So I want to try in the next hour or so to explore some of the Holy Scriptures with you to get your imagination activated around the idea of the ascension let me say one more thing what let me so i put forth the thesis that it's the number three his uh, event uh, th this also uh my friend pastor warren graff pastor grace lutheran church down in albuquerque new mexico uh, we were talking about um some of the ways that we think wrong about church and about life in church and the ways it's, it's just some some of the ways that like being a pastor or being a congregation is presented to us in these days and and he made this statement he said all of the wrong ideas about being church go go back to a denial of the ascension of Jesus wow now I don't know if he's right <laughs> or not but I do know that he's worth thinking about uh, and I do know that that's a helpful idea because because it, it comes back to this is Jesus sitting on the throne is Jesus ruling and reigning like Ephesians 1 says is Jesus ruling and reigning all things for the sake of his church when we have this comforting verse in Romans chapter 8 that says that all things work together for the good of those who love Christ and are called according to his purpose now is that that is directly connected that verse is directly connected to Jesus ascending into heaven sitting at the right hand of God so that's what we're gonna do today how's that sound now, if you are watching this, uh, on, if you're listening, how, let's see, how about this? If you're listening live on KFUO and you want to send me a question, I'll bet you the best way to do that is through Twitter. I have to, I'm going to open up Twitter now. So you can, you can uh, I don't know how to get messages on Twitter, but I do know how to read the thing if you tag me because it tells me. If you notif Notifications are on here. So if you have a question about the Ascension or a comment about the Ascension, you're listening live and you want to put that on Twitter, I'll try to pay attention to it. If you're watching live on YouTube, uh, I'm, I got the stream open here, and I'm going to see if you have questions about this as well. Uh, you, can, uh, you can chime in. So let's start with the biblical text. Now, uh, Mark chapter, uh, chapter 16 
And there's some debate about the uh, the ending of Mark here, but let's just go for it. Mark chapter 16, verse, six, verse 19 says this. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Now, there's a couple of amazing things about that verse. But one of them is this. How does Mark know that when Jesus got into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. I mean, how does he know? So the disciples see Jesus leave, and, he's, and, he, and he disappears from their sight. How does Mark know that he didn't, you know, fly around or, I don't know, play the harp? Or, I mean, wh who knows what Jesus did? How does Mark know that? Well, what's the answer? I mean, number one, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we know that the, the gospel writers were given this... Um, we're given the, the, the this this perfection via inspiration to write these things. We know that for sure. But there's something else. And Mark knows Psalm 110, verse 1. Now this uh, Psalm 110, verse 1, we've talked about it here on Cross Defense. It is amazing. It's the third most quoted Old Testament text in the New Testament, which itself should give us an indication that it's pretty important. It's the text that Jesus used I had someone say, this is Todd Wilkin on Issues, etc., said that he thinks that Psalm 110 is Jesus' favorite psalm. No, 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 he said that about Psalm 118. Psalm 110 has to be Jesus' second favorite psalm. Psalm 110 is the psalm that Jesus uses to trick the Pharisees who were trying to trick him on Holy Tuesday. Remember Holy Tuesday, Jesus is in the temple, and they're coming up to him trying to trick him with all these different questions? <laughs> this is great. And, and they ask him the questions about the coin and about ma the uh, uh, marriage and the resurrection and about the greatest commandment. They, Jesus, he's not stumped. So then they go to the, so then Jesus says, I got a question for you guys. Whose son is the Messiah? David's, they all say, because they know Second Samuel 7. And then Jesus says, well, how can David said, how can David call him my Lord? And then Jesus quotes Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And they didn't know what to do. Because they didn't know how the Messiah could be David's son and David's Lord. Now, we know he's David's son and David's Lord because he's both God and man. He's David's son according to his birth from Mary. And he's David's Lord according to his begottenness of the Father from all eternity. It's fantastic. Fantastic. But Jesus, to stump them, quotes this Psalm 110. The Lord, that's the Father, said to my Lord, that's the son. Sit here where? At my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Wow. That's an amazing text. I, I just, it's, it's just amazing whenever the Bible gives us the, um, when the Bible gives us this picture of God talking to God. I was, so Psalm 40, did we talk about Psalm 40 just a second ago? A body I've prepared for you, you have prepared for me. That's the, that's the son talking to the father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Jesus talking to God. Uh, the, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make, that's the father talking to the son. It's amazing that the Psalms give us these little glimpses into the conversation of the father and the son. And the son. This is, can you imagine anything more wonderful and here in psalm 110 the the father saying to the son and we're we're listening over hey uh sit here at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool that's how mark knew where what jesus did is because mark knew psalm 10 psalm 110 so we confess it in the creed he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of god the father almighty 
From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. So far, Mark. Now let's go over to Luke. Luke gives us the ascension twice. It's really interesting. He gives it to us at the end of the gospel, according to Luke, and at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. Here it is in verse, let's see, what should we do? Yeah, Luke 24, verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. This, by the way, Bethany is, if you remember right, you have Jerusalem on Mount Zion, then you go down, let me just think of the directions here. If you go, if you go east out of Jerusalem, you go down into the Kidron Valley, and then you go up onto the Mount of Olives, and if you go down onto the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, down on that slope you find Bethany, the city, the little village where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, where Jesus stayed and so forth. So Jesus, so so we want to remember, and I always had this mixed up in my own head. You know Matthew 28 where Jesus blesses them and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you and so forth. Uh, this is, the, um, that is in Galilee, not in, um, what, not, it's in Galilee, not in Jerusalem, not at Bethany. So the ascension happens down in Jerusalem. So that Matthew 28 is still when they're still up in Galilee, not yet down in Jerusalem for the ascension. Anyway, just straighten that out. I had it mixed up in my head for a long time. Uh, you guys are probably saying, well, I knew that this whole time. How come you don't read the Bible? Anyway, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he, was that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So Jesus brings them out to the Mount of Olives, down the other side of the Mount of Olives, and he stands there and he gives them a blessing. And then, and then he is lifted up and disappears from them. Now I don't know how you, in your imagination, picture the ascension. Uh, if, I used to think of the ascension like watching. You remember when you were a little kid and you would have a helium balloon and you would let it go or you'd get it away from you and it would float away and it'd go up and up and up and up until you couldn't see it anymore and then it was gone. You, you'd miss it. I used to think of the ascension like that, like Jesus just kind of floated up into heaven. But the but the picture that it, is that he, not that he floats away, but that he he's there, he's lifted up and then he disappears. Let's let's pick it up in Acts. I'm going to start Acts chapter 1, verse 9. There's some good stuff in verses 1 to 8, but let's, let's skip over to verse 9. Now when he, was, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey. So that Jesus is taken up, he's lifted up, and he's a cloud hides them, and all the disciples are sitting there kind of gazing up into heaven like what just happened and now two men in white this is an indication of the angels <laughs> two, it's just, come and they're like what are you guys looking at their mouths are open wow what just happened oh. 
And the angel says, don't just stand there. <laughs> looking up into heaven. <laughs> Jesus is going to come back the same way, and you're not going to be able to miss it. <laughs> it's so great. Now, how did Jesus leave them? Let's think about this for a second. How did Jesus leave them? He left, and he had his hands raised in blessing. When the angel says that he'll come back in the same way he left, it means he's going to come back, his hands raised in blessing. So that we're not, we're not standing around gazing up into heaven, waiting for the second coming. We know that the Lord will, that we're not going to miss it when it happens. And that the Lord's coming back to bless us. Remember how Jesus says it. This is also in Luke when Jesus tells him about the last day. He says, hey, uh, I'm coming back. And when, when these things happen, when you see me coming back, lift up your eyes because your redemption draws near. How fantastic is that? So that, so that the, the second coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus, who left us in this way, who's now coming back in this way, is, is our great news. So far, the text. So, so there it is, Mark, Luke, and uh, Acts for the Ascension. This is a probably a good time to take a break. So let's take a break here, and we're going to come back and try to dig into what this means. The, oh, yeah, we've got to see what it looked like from the other side. So we'll see the Ascension from the heavenly side, how, how Jesus comes into heaven. We'll look at Revelation 7 and, and 12. That'll be fun. And then we want to think a, a little bit about it theologically. If you've got questions, you can send them to me on Twitter, which I think is... I think it's B. Wolfmuller. I don't know. Just search for Pastor Wolfmuller on Twitter. I can't remember what my name is. You can send me a question there. Uh, or you can, if you're, if you're watching on the live stream, you can put a question there as well. You're listening to Cross Defense. Let's have a quick break, and we'll be right back. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. How do we love our neighbor on the internet? Why are the creeds so important? What does it mean to practice Christian hospitality? Questions like these are answered in every edition of The Lutheran Witness, the monthly magazine of the LCMS. The Lutheran Witness can help you interpret the world from a Lutheran Christian perspective by providing reliable, biblical reflections on the issues that you care about the most. Get your free issue at cph.org witness. That's cph.org witness. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. 
You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. Welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Jesus Steph and St. Paul Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Here live on KFUO and also on YouTube. We got a quiet, we just checked in during the break. We got a really international folk. We got, uh, we have, let's see, we got Iceland watching on. We have uh, uh, Poland watching. We have Switzerland and we even have North Carolina. Wild. If you got questions about the Ascension, the place that you see, if you can, uh, you can um, put them on the uh, Twitter somehow. I'll try to find it. And uh, and also on the live stream, you can put questions there too. We're talking about the Ascension. We talked about the Ascension, the view of the Ascension from Earth. Now we want to get a view of the Ascension from Heaven. Now this is oh, this is really cool. The Book of Revelation. Now, okay. I don't know what you think of when you think of the book of Revelation. We're going to have to spend some time on the book of Revelation because people normally, they think of Revelation and they see like teeth dripping with blood. You know, it's like a, it's a frightful thing for them. We got to remember that the revelation is the revelation of Jesus. That's how it starts. The apocalypse of Jesus, the apocalypsis, that's uh, the calypsis is the veil or the covering and the apos from the veil. So it's the unveiling of Jesus. So we don't see Jesus now. I mean, just look outside. You don't see Jesus. He's hidden from his, he's, he's still in his ascension glory, which means he's hidden from our sight. But the book of Revelation gives us a little glimpse into how it is now, into how it is with the Lamb of God. What is he doing? And you know what he's doing? He's sitting on the throne. That's what the Lamb is doing. Now, Jordan asks, is, uh, if the ascension was in Jerusalem, was it witnessed by more than just the disciples? It was on the other side of the hill, and as far as we can tell, it was just his disciples. Maybe more than 12. Maybe there was a little more of the crowd uh, that was there because there's a kind of a, a, a kind of a expanding crowd. And we remember, for example, like Matthias was with them all along. So a few days later, Matthias would be selected by the disciples as the 12th disciple. And... Um, And it says that he was with them and all these things. There's a couple other people, but it, was, it seems like it was just a small group of the disciples. It wasn't a, the ascension was not a public event, like almost all of the. In fact, we can say this: all of the events of all of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus were not public events. They were just churchly events. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. They were only to the Christians. Only the Christians got to participate in. In it. So he didn't. He didn't. He never appeared um, to any of the any of his enemies. Now, maybe you might you might argue with that and say the, the exception would be um, the exception would be Paul, Saul, as he Jesus appears to him. That's post ascension. But anyhow, now. The ascension, we get the view of the ascension from below, but now Revelation gives us, oh yeah, so we're talking about Revelation, and it's the unveiling of Jesus. Normally, you know, the people who are scared of the Revelation see it as the unveiling of the terror of the last days. 
But it's not just for the last days. I mean, the, the vision of the Revelation extends from the ascension of Jesus to the second coming, and it kind of goes through the whole thing. And so it, it, it does give us, it does, it, it takes the mask off of, this, of the spiritual wickedness of this present age. That's true enough. So we see that pictured in Revelation. But chiefly, as, chiefly the Revelation takes us into heaven to get a glimpse of the throne room of God and to see what's happening there. Because if we were just to look around at the world, you know, whatever it is, you look around at coronavirus, you look around at the troubles in this life, you look around at the wars, you look around at your own life, your own weakness, your own temptations, your own, I mean, you see sin everywhere, and we think, man, oh man, Jesus has just lost control. Someone has kicked him off the throne. Someone else is ruling in his place. And so we go up to Revelation, we go up to, and we see, no, no, the lamb is still there. So it's this lamb on the throne, and so we get a glimpse of that first in the Lamb taking his throne, the coronation of the Lamb. I wonder where we should look. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5. Did I say Revelation 7? Let's look first at, at Revelation chapter 5. Verse 1, John writes, I saw, now remember, John is the bishop of Ephesus. He's the apostle of Jesus. He's been exiled to Patmos, this island, which is pretty nice, but it's exiled. You, things are, everything's nice if you go there on purpose. But if something happens to you, then it's not. Hey, did you guys notice that? That I mean, like if you go to if you go to Patmos on purpose because you want to go there, it's a beautiful place. But if someone sends you there, then you're in exile. It's like prison. Same thing with this kind of coronavirus thing. Like, if we were all staying home because we wanted to, we'd be like princes and kings. But because as soon as someone says you got to do it, it's anyway. Patmos is pretty nice, but he's exiled to Patmos. And then the Lord, he's worshiping, and the Lord gives him this vision. So verse chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne, uh, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and lose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. Well, I thought there was no crying in heaven. But here, just think about it. I mean, pause there and think about this. Here's John who's seeing this, and here's, the, here's God holding in his right hand the scroll, and it's sealed so that it can't be opened, the seven seals. And the angel says, who can open it? And they look, and there's nobody who can open it. And John weeps. Now, why does he weep? Because the opening of this scroll is particularly important. In fact, the opening of this scroll is the gift of salvation. This scroll is the Lamb's Book of Life. And if, no, if you can't open that, it, that, that scroll, let's think of it this way, that scroll is the guest list of heaven. And if it can't be opened, then no one's getting in. Who can open the scroll? So he's weeping much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. So here's John weeping, weeping, crying. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scrolls and to loose its seven seals. Now, this is one of these great things in the book of Revelation that we don't want to miss is that there's a there will be a contrast between the between what John hears and what John sees. This happens all over the place and it's a playful rhetorical device that the Lord is using 
through John in this text. But here's one of the places. So he hears, he says, what, what's coming? So you, you got to think. Someone says, hey, don't worry. The lion is coming. And now you're waiting, you know, and here comes the, and you hear someone outside walking. You're like, ooh, here comes a lion. So he hears the lion of the tribe of Judah. But then he looks, and what does he see? Verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. Wow. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, the, now, who who is this lion? Who is this lamb? Is this this? Now, here's the atheist says. Now, look, the Bible it contradicts itself. Is it a lion or is it a lamb? It says it's a lion, and then he looks and it's a lamb. And the lion and the lamb. I mean, this is the point. It's not like it's he he says the lion has conquered, and then he looked and he saw a leopard. The lion has conquered, and he looks and he sees a a, a tiger. No, the lion is conquered, and he looks and he sees a lamb. That's a, that is the opposite. The lion and the lamb are the opposite of one another. You can't get two more opposite animals, I don't suppose. I mean, the, the lion and the lamb, the weak and the strong, the, the, the eater and the eated, <laughs> eaten, the, the, the king of the jungle and the sacrifice. And yet, both are descriptions of Jesus. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is both. And that, the preaching of the lion and the vision of the lamb are preaching two aspects of the same Jesus. He is the king, and he is the sacrifice. He is the victor, and he is the victim. He is the strongest, and he is the weakest. He is the one who has, who has conquered, and he is the one who was conquered. Both. Both. Jesus is the lion and the lamb wrapped up together. Now, the, the, this idea of seeing something and hearing something, and the thing that you see and the thing that you hear being the opposite, but being the description of the same thing, is, is, is repeated over and over in the book of Revelation, just as an example. I, I heard the number 144,000, and I looked and I saw a, a multitude that you can't count, and they're both this description of the same, of the, of the mystical body of, of Christ, the church. But here is the picture of the ascension from, from heaven. This is the throne room view of the ascension of Jesus. So, so, so John is there before Jesus ascends, and there's this scroll that has to be opened, and he looks around, and no one's able to, and then in comes the lion, in comes the lamb, and he comes into heaven, and what does he do? He goes to the right hand of God, and he takes the scroll, and he opens it. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I'm in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 now. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. 
and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. <laughs> they sing the new song to the Lamb. <laughs> this is this is, this is so, so the disciples are still probably standing there looking down, and the heavenly choirs have started to sing. <laughs> Can you imagine? Now, there's an even more glorious how are we doing on time here there's an even more glorious picture of the of the ascension of jesus over in revelation chapter 12 <laughs> now if we just remember that uh that the book of revelation sort of goes in cycles you know it'll go from the ascension of jesus to the crucifixion to an ascension and to the end of time and the second coming it'll go back to his incarnation go it just kind of goes in cycles well revelation 12 is another one of those t times it goes and it goes back to the ascension now, now it's going to in fact revelation 12 is going to cover the birth of jesus the ascension of jesus and then what happens and to get the background of this i now i don't know if i can if there's anything more wonderful than than revelation chapter 12 I mean this if 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 your heart is normally like cold as you read and consider the scriptures and and this just will melt it or maybe set it on fire to get the to get the picture of revelation 12 we want to go back to the old testament and remember for example the book of job remember how job starts is there's a like a gathering in heaven and uh, it's like it's like heaven is like a council room, like a corporate boardroom, and there's all these chairs around the table or around the throne of God, and and the angels each have their chair, and and so one of the angels that has a chair there is Satan, and he comes and he sits there, and and the Lord says, "Have you considered Job, my servant?" and and the devil comes and he does his sataning work. The word Satan means to accuse. So that heaven is pictured like a courtroom. And there, in the courtroom, there's a place for Satan to do the accusing work, to stand and accuse the Lord day and night. So that the, the picture is that the devil is bringing your sins and my sins before the throne of God and presenting them there. Now that is a frightful, I mean, a terrifying, really. That the devil is bringing my sins before God in heaven. There's a court case, and the, and and the devil says, "Okay, I'd like to, I'd like to enter into consideration exhibit number seventeen million four hundred ninety-two, Brian's sin." Ugh. Ugh. This is frightful. But something stunning happens. Okay, so here, so here, so here it is. Revelation twelve. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. That goes takes us back to the dream of Joseph. It's a picture of Israel. And being with child, that woman being with child, she cried out in labor to give birth. So this is Israel waiting for the seed to be born. Now here, um, she's reduced. It's one. It's Mary. She's pregnant. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. That's the devil. And his power and his authority and all that represented by his, by his jewelry. 
His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. That, by the way, that little verse right there, Revelation 12, verse 4, is where we get the idea that one-third of the angels fell with the devil. So all the angels, remember, were created good, and then when the devil rebelled, he took some with him, and they became the demons. And we think it's a third of the angels from this text. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to de devour her child as soon as it was born. Here enters my joke, which says that now they don't allow dragons in the birthing room. Things are different in the old days. <laughs> now, this, by the way, explains why Israel had so much trouble in the Old Testament, because the, the devil, like a, like a dragon, was trying to devour the children. I mean, here, remember the pharaohs killing the Egyptian babies. Here, remember Herod, who wanted to kill the baby in Bethlehem. Here, remember all of the trouble of the Old Testament as the devil is trying to end, bring an end to, this, to the line that would bear the seed. But the devil fails. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God into his throne. That's the ascension. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. That's the life of the church, uh, three and a half years. Our life of suffering is always, is always described with the short t time frame of three and a half years. Uh, it's not seven years, you know, and oftentimes like the dispensationalists will talk about the seven-year tribulation. In Revelation, that does not come from Revelation. In Revelation, it's always uh, three and a half. That's the short time of our trouble in this life. Sometimes it's described in weeks or, or months or days. That's what it is here. But then what happens in heaven? What happens when this child is caught up to the throne of God? Now pay attention to this. Revelation 12, verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was their place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Now that is amazing. Did Jesus, so what, here's the picture. When Jesus enters into heaven to the right hand of God, he looks over at the devil and he says, your work is done here. <laughs> he enters into the heavenly court with his blood. And he presents it as evidence. I'd like to submit into the, into the hearing my blood, which was, which was shed for the sins of the world, as the atoning sacrifice to, to prepare a place for all sinners to come and stand before the Lord, to sanctify them and make them holy forever and ever. I'd like to present this evidence. And now, and now the devil who's coming and presenting the evidence of our sin has nothing to do anymore. The devil says, hey, what about this sin? What about this sin? Jesus says, objection. That sin's died for. Objection. That sin's covered with my blood. Objection. That sin is atoned for. Objection. Objection. In fact, devil, there's not a single sin. There's not a single thing of evidence. There's not a single accusation that you can make that is not covered by my sacrifice on the cross. Your work here is done. You're dismissed. And so Jesus says to the bailiff of the heavenly court, why don't you escort him out? 
Now, he doesn't go easily, so there's a war, and that war is to remove the devil. How does it say it in Revelation 12? To remove the devil, the accuser of our brethren, who accuses them day and night before the throne. It's to remove him from heaven, to get him out of there. And he is removed. Now, he comes down to earth to do his accusing work in our own hearts and in our own conscience. But so what? The evidence of your sin is no longer before God the Father in heaven. That is where Jesus is. Stunning. And that's the, revel that's the ascension of Jesus from the throne side of things. All right, we went a little long, so we've got to take a break here and come back, and we've got to pick up this Ephesians 4 text. And I think maybe we'll go and dig into Hebrews just a little bit uh, to see that as well as we, as we imagine the ascension of Jesus here on Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Wolf Miller. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Cross Events. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Coming to you here on Cross Defense, on KFUO, and on the YouTubes. We got a question that came in from, the, from YouTube from Rosalind who says, Why is it important for Jesus to keep his physical body after his work on the earth is finished? Could we still partake of his body and blood if he had returned to a spiritual form after his ascension? Uh, it's, I, I, you know, the why of these things is kind of tricky. We can at least say it is important because Jesus did it. And we were looking at this thing from the other side. But to, to confess, to recognize and confess that Jesus is still in his physical body. If he wasn't, the tomb would still have a body there. Remember, the body that was buried is the body that was raised for Jesus and also for us, but especially for Jesus, so that Jesus still has his body. He still has his, his humanity still and will eternally. It's an eternal reality. He keeps his... He keeps his, his incarnate body now, never to set it down again, always to be united, God and man, in the singular person of Christ. It's absolutely beautiful. It gives us a, such, such fantastic comfort. From that comes the understanding that Jesus gives us his body and blood in the Lord's Supper, or maybe vice versa. Because we know that Jesus continues to give us his body and blood in the Lord's Supper, we know that he still has his body and blood to give us. So that's fantastic. Now, someone else in the chat over here on YouTube mentioned Ephesians 4, which is a beautiful text about the ascension. It starts out with this list of, of ones. Paul says, uh, keep the, in, he, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body 
I'm in Ephesians 4, 4 now. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. They meant to say, in y'all. But to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, he says, now here's the ascension text. First, Paul is going to quote Psalm 68. What a psalm. It's a stunning psalm. It's one of these, you know, sometimes they call these psalms uh, throne psalms or enthronement psalms. And, and they want you to go back and read them like they were written for King David or something. They are they're about the ascension. If you ever see throne or king on the throne or anything like that, just think Jesus ascending into heaven. That's what the Bible is about. It's not like they're sitting around praising Solomon for sitting on this great, glorious, golden throne, and they're like, oh, yeah, we also have a Messiah who will do the same. Or, or someone said later, well, Solomon is dead now, so we better make it mean something else important. That is a totally pagan and godless way to read the Old Testament. You see throne and think ascension. Jesus is Lord. That's the basic confession of the whole scriptures. Now think about that. When we say Jesus is Lord, it's nothing. It's really a confession of the ascension, is it not? I mean, Jesus can't be Lord unless he was born. He can't be Lord unless he conquered sin, death, and the devil on the cross. He can't be Lord unless he was raised from the dead. But it's at the ascension that, I mean, that's what ascension means, to be, to be lifted up, to be exalted as the king. And Jesus is, ascends to sit on the throne at the right hand of God. Jesus is Lord. Now, now just, we, and we say that, Jesus is king or Jesus is Lord, so easily. And maybe we should. I mean, if we're just used to saying it, we should say it all the time. It should be always on our lips, Jesus is Lord. But it should also be helpful to remember that that's what the martyrs said that got them martyred. <laughs> There's a lot of things they could have said. But the thing that got them in trouble most, the thing that led the Christians to death, the things that, that, you know, that got their head cut off or their skin boiled or that got them crucified upside down or fed to the lions or whatever, the thing that caused all the trouble was that. Jesus is Lord. That's why St. Paul says nobody can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. Because to say Jesus is Lord is to say that everyone else who claims to be Lord is wrong. Everyone else who claims to sit on the throne is dethroned. When you say Jesus is Lord, you are, you are dethroning the devil, the world, the flesh, yourself, any sort of earthly king that would claim that sort of thing, including every single idol that you have. And remember, our hearts are idol factories. We're constantly trying to set other things on the throne. And when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying you're not. We're saying to our good works, you're not the Lord. We're saying to our trust and our wealth or our possessions, you're not the Lord. We're saying to Baal and Molech and Allah, you're not the Lord. We're throwing out all the false gods. Jesus is Lord. And when the Caesar comes along and says, no, 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 I'm on the throne. You better acknowledge me as Lord. The Christians say, no. Well, then I'll kill you. Fine. Fine. Because Jesus is Lord. It's true. That is amazing. And that is a confession of the ascension. Yeah, okay. So back in Ephesians, 
which is going to quote Psalm. Oh, yeah, that's what got me so excited about all that business. So people, the way, you, you know, you have these enthronement psalms. No, we should just call them ascension psalms. Psalm 68 is an ascension psalm. Look at what it said. Psalm 68, so therefore he says, I'm reading in Ephesians 4, 8, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. <laughs> so Jesus is ascending as a victorious king, and he ascends on high, and he leads captivity captive. This is a beautiful way. He he. Jesus is the death of death. Jesus is the captivity of captivity. Jesus is the devil's devil. <laughs> Jesus is the undoing of sin. I mean, all this kind of stuff. He says, he's got all your captive. Here's all your chains and everything else. He puts them in a bag and he brings like a Santa Claus. He hauls it away from you. All the things that held you in slavery and bondage. I mean, the slavery to the flesh, the slavery of despair, the slavery of pride, all the slaveries that define our humanity, all those are gone, done for. Jesus leads captivity, and then he gives gifts to men. And then we have the list of gifts that he gives. First, verse 9, now that he ascended, what does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? That's talking about the incarnation. He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. At the ascension, Jesus takes up all of his divine attributes. This is what we call the genus myostaticum. That means that all of the divine attributes that belong to the divine nature are communicated to the person of Jesus. And in fact, at the ascension, at his glorification, they are also communicated to his human nature. So that the human nature of Jesus possesses all the divine attributes including omnipresence like it says here that the body of that the humanity of Jesus fills everything ha <laughs> wow now just let it blow your mind just for a second cuz we got to keep moving on he who decent oh yeah we read that verse 11 says and he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edification of itself in love. Now that's a long verse, like St. Paul loves to have these long verses, but it's a glorious one. I mean utterly beautiful. Because Jesus is the head and we are the body, and as he is lifted up, he is bringing us with him. So that where he is, we will be also. And he's bringing us with him right now. This is beautiful. He gives gifts to men. So, And then the gifts that he lifts are the, are the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, that's amazing. I mean, for anybody who's, who's listening to, to this text... Anybody who's 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 and who's a pastor who's out there, just um, just to imagine what a tremendous and humbling thing it is to be listed as part of the gifts that Jesus gives to the church. I mean, I, this is incredibly humbling for me as a pastor to think 
that Jesus ascended so that he could send me to the church to preach. I mean, it's almost sort of overwhelming to even imagine that that could possibly be true. But so it says it right here in the text. Now, I want to read one more Ascension text because we're going to run out of time fast, which I can't believe. It seems like we just got started. Thanks, guys, for hanging out, by the way, today on Cross Defense. I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapter 1. This is another long verse. It starts back in, in verse 15, but I'm going, to, I'm going to just kind of pick up halfway through the sentence in verse 20. Uh, the mighty power which he, the Father, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, that's the ascension, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, those are technical terms for the, for the ranks of angels and demons. Oof, we got two minutes. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So Jesus is above all things. And verse 22, and he put all things under his feet, Psalm 8, Psalm 110, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now let's just not miss that. God the Father put all things under the feet of Jesus and he gave him to be head over all things to the church. So that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father and he rules and he reigns all things. Why? For the sake of his church. To benefit his church, his holy people. Jesus ascended into the right hand of the Father to take up his authority and his rule in the world, and he rules now, working all things together for good for those who love God, for his body, the church. Now that is stunning. Just like his incarnation, just like his death, just like his resurrection, so the ascension of Jesus is also for you. God be praised. That's the ascension. Well, thanks for everyone for hanging out. Thanks for hanging out on the live stream, and thanks for hanging out here on uh, on KFUO. So glad that you guys uh, are with me each week. We talk about this. Next week is a uh, next week's a holiday, so we'll t we'll do a re one I think next week, and we'll be back live in two weeks. Uh, so stay tuned for that, and we'll look forward to we'll look forward to catching you on the flip side. Thanks for being part of this cross defense. God's peace be with you. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thanks again for being a podcast listener. So glad that you're here with me. God be praised for that. If you have qu questions or thoughts, please please let me know. There's a lot more theology and ways to contact me at wolfmuller.co. That's the website. Thanks so much for 
uh, for being part of the conversation. We'll look forward to the next one.